0: What's going on, Dolphins fans? This is your host, Kyle Krabs. Another episode of Locked on Dolphins coming down the chute. The Miami Dolphins reportedly in line to hire Daryl Bevel as an assistant on their coaching staff and a look at the tight ends for the 2021 Miami Dolphins, how they performed and how they project into the new offense we're expecting to see from head coach Mike McDaniel in 2022
1: are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What's going on Dolphins fans and welcome to another episode of Locked on Dolphins. This is your host, Kyle Krabs, the director of scouting at the draftnetwork.com, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. And a little pumped, a little juiced today. I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins watch and or listen of the day. We're on YouTube at Locked on Dolphins. We are, of course, the Locked on Dolphins podcast feed anywhere and everywhere that you can get podcasts. And uh, the news came through yesterday uh, that the Dolphins are working towards hiring Daryl Bevel to serve as the team's passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach, which... um, I think the phrase the kids are saying these days is yeet because I could not be happier with this hire. This was the hire we talked yesterday when we were discussing the offensive coordinator hire. Uh, We talked yesterday about the presence of John Embry on the staff as the assistant head coach and the tight ends coach being a critical one because as you reviewed what this new coaching – staff had and had not versus what our wish list was. One of the primary things that was missing was what experience, experienced coaches that have operated a high level before. Well, now the addition of Daryl Bevel that changes some things because Daryl Bevel has been around the block a time or two, and he's still only 52 years old. And uh, if this dolphins staff goes off with a bang, uh, I would expect uh, Daryl Bevel may not be with the Dolphins for too long, but with a young quarterback into a tongue of a in the midst of his formative years, uh, getting Daryl Bevel on the staff is really, really big. So he was first at the NFL level, the assistant quarterbacks coach in green Bay from 2000 to 2002. And then was the actual quarterbacks coach from 2003 to 2005. So from a half, he had a half a decade as the quarterback's coach. In Green Bay with Brett Favre. Not a bad start. Then he's the offensive coordinator in Minnesota for five years from 2006 to 2010. And then he goes to Seattle and he's the offensive coordinator in Seattle for their big run with the Legion of Boom and Russ Wilson from 2011 to 2017. He goes to Detroit in 2019 after a year off in 2019 and 2020. He's the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions. And one thing that people forget is Matt Stafford's year before the year before he was traded. Uh, He played eight games, and he was on pace for 5,000 yards, 40-something touchdowns, and, like, 10 interceptions. He he was in the middle of an outstanding year before he got hurt missed the second half of the year. That was under Daryl Bevel. Uh, Bevel served as the interim head coach in Detroit in 2020, then went to Jacksonville as the offensive coordinator for Urban Meyer, and then served as the interim head coach for Jacksonville in 2021 as well when Urban Meyer was dismissed amidst his, let's just call them missteps. This is for the experience that he's had working with Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, Brett Favre. The amount of time he has been in the exact role that he's being charged with in Miami, this is one of the hires That I am most excited about this is a key well-respected offensive mind and he's not doing more than you know he's capable of doing as a matter of fact you're putting him in a role in which a lot of his best work has been done not as a head coach of a football team not even an offensive coordinator just pass game coordinator Uh, I love the fit I love the experience and the fact that Tua Tagovailoa now has a quarterbacks coach who has worked with a player with similar style in Russell Wilson as far as his stature and his ability to see the field, that's key. And a young Russell Wilson, right? Not Russell Wilson now. Not even Brian Schottenheimer years. Like rookie Russell Wilson, Super Bowl run Russell Wilson, who... Leaned primarily on a a heavily focused running game, which is a parallel that we are expecting to see from the Miami Dolphins under Mike McDaniel. So kudos to Mike McDaniel and kudos to the Dolphins for getting this hire in place. And I think out of all the hires that have been made, uh, this is the one that I think best indicates and showcases uh, one of the intangible plus qualities of Mike McDaniel as a coach in that you've heard players rave about him. You've heard uh, other coaches that have worked with him rave about him. But the intangibles component of getting people interested in working with him is something we did not know until we saw it. And that was one of the, the areas for me that I just said, let's let's see what it is before we give him credit for it or discredit his ability to do it. Um, and of course I'm not sitting in on the interviews, so I can't speak to what his presentation of a proposed staff was going to look like when he went through the interview process for the dolphins. Uh, so we only used the information that we had at hand when we were going through the hiring process and he wasn't, Mike McDaniel was not again, particularly high up on my personal list. And just because these hires are made, it, it is still important. We need to see how it materializes. Now, you you can't judge the product based off the hire. The hire is judged off the product. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't more excited this morning waking up to record today's show than I was even just yesterday with the addition of Daryl Bevel and them pulling an assistant offensive line coach from the Atlanta Falcons and bringing him into the fray again, the the continued point of emphasis for this coaching staff on tight ends and and offensive line coaches being all pulled together for a coach who wants to work collaboratively. You can see what the vision is, and I'm excited to see how that vision materializes, and I'm excited to see what they tell us of their assessment of the roster when they have the chance to add talent to the roster. Um, They've done a nice job in getting me at a point where I'm cautiously, cautiously, optimistic about forecasting this. Uh, but I wouldn't consider this, the, the, like the job's not done. The job's just started, right? You had now have to go out and create results. And how you do that is you apply a lot of the things that you've been talking about, what you need to do for the offense in general and the talent that you have, uh, that has to gel and mesh. And... You know, we saw the 2021 Dolphins try to go with a collaborative approach to putting together uh, an offensive coaching staff, and that obviously did not work. Uh, So, uh, And the the co-offensive coordinators was an unorthodox thing from the jump, and it kind of became apparent as you went that uh, they they didn't have a lot of outside networking resources to tap into to get anybody else to do that. Well, now, this – Iteration of coaching staff, job well done thus far. Excited to see where we go from here with Daryl Bevel being a critical, long-time, experienced coach, well-respected across the league. Job well done. Bet online. The football season is over, uh, but Bet Online still has plenty of goods for you guys. Basketball is in full steam, both pro and college hoops. For all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, where the next fire coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. But it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds, right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the
2: game starts. Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
0: So we'll see what coaching hire comes down the line today. Uh, since I'm recording podcasts talking about the day before hires and then several hours later, a new hires announced that we then have to do on the next day show. So I'm fully expecting we're going to get somebody else added to the staff uh, between now and tomorrow. We'll see what that looks like. But the original intent of today's show was assessing the tight ends group for the Miami Dolphins in 2021. And uh, this is coming off the heels of the Dolphins in 2022 or in 2020, having one of their most productive tight end rooms in team history. Uh, You reflect on the 2020 group, and that Dolphins team saw uh, Mike Kasecki put on 53 receptions for 703 yards and six touchdowns. Uh, Durham Smythe had 26 receptions for 208 yards and two touchdowns. Adam Shaheen, 12 for 150 and three touchdowns. Uh, It was a good group in 2020. Uh, Productive tight ends. Well, then they came out this year. And both Mike Gusecki and Durham Smythe bested themselves as far as their production. Now, the interesting thing about that, of course, is both of these players are expiring contracts, which means they're not under contract for 2022. Mike Gusecki posted 73 receptions on 112 targets, 780 yards, and two touchdowns. Durham Smythe posted 34 receptions for 357 yards and no touchdowns. You had... Adam Shaheen posted 12 receptions for 110 yards and no scores. Uh, You had Hunter long who had one catch for eight yards across his rookie season. And we'll talk about that and that selection, because that's one that chaps the uh, rear ends of quite a few dolphins fans and Seaton Carter uh, posted two receptions for 16 yards. So production is a little bit more top heavy. Uh, But as far as the contributions of the room in the passing game, This was the key staple for Miami between Gasecki and Smythe and and working Gasecki vertically and across the middle of the field when you had the opportunities to do so. And Smythe is kind of the multi-tool player who was involved a lot in the shallows in the RPO game. Um, These were two critical frequent targets for the Dolphins. And from a passing game perspective, especially relative to the uh, the wide receivers room i would give this group a b plus or an a minus for their passing game contributions to the team would you have liked to see them get in the end zone a little bit more than two times between the whole group combined yes of course but you'd also like to have more than 21 touchdown passes or whatever it was that the dolphins as a team finished with this year you need more volume there you need more scoring we knew that but um I do think that from a run game perspective, the tight ends group is an area that needs continued growth and development. And as the team does that, uh, and as they look to f- fulfill the aspirations of, of Mike McDaniel and John Embry and, and this offensive staff, uh, they're going to need to get better in the blocking game, both in pass protection and in run blocking. And I understand that's not a sexy component of the, of the job, Tight ends, the modern tight ends are much more involved in the passing game. I get it. But the Dolphins last year, a lot of their runs, just based on film study uh, and observations that I had made, a lot of times they were one or two blocks away from getting chunk gains with consistency. And too many times it was that tight end on the run strength side at the point of attack. Falling off his block, getting beat across his face. You don't have to go any further back. than the fourth down failed run in the final two minutes against Jacksonville. You had a, a one offensive lineman bubbled backwards, which stuffed up the point of attack and forced the back to redirect. And Durham Smythe was beat across his face, and that player made the tackle for tackle for loss. And you look at all the runs for zero yards, one-yard loss, one-yard gain, two-yard gain, and it's like, y'all are really close on a lot of these. Now there's a lot of plays they didn't get blocked up right in general. And, you know, they weren't comboing and they weren't, uh, they, they weren't working to the right second level defender. And yes, but that's a run game problem specifically. But as we're looking at the tight ends, that's why I, I was pushing for more of Hunter long. Hunter long had some mental miscues and mistakes. Uh, he, Got called, was it the Jets game? He had two penalties in one of the games late in the year. One of them was not a penalty either, by the way. Um, but his ability to secure the point of attack is where I'm most excited to see Hunter Long as a player continue to grow. Um, The investment there, let, let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's talk about Mike Kasecki. I think that's most appropriate here. We're talking tight ends. Mike's a phenomenal receiver, and there should be no surprise uh, that Mike, as a pass catcher, uh, did well with volume. He did well in contested situations. He had some phenomenal catch radius receptions that most players would not finish. Uh, You would have liked to have seen him in the end zone a little bit more, Uh, but to his credit, he played all 17 games. He had 112 targets. He posted career highs in receptions and receiving yards. And how the team eventually settled into what the offense was going to look like um, last year, I don't think did Mike a lot of favors. And oh, I'm sure there's, there's some that'll put their tinfoil hat on and say, well, you know, with his contract here, he didn't want him loan up too much. You know when the market getting out of control and I'm, I doubt never say never that that was probably possibly in the back of anybody's minds. Uh, But at the end of the day, it kind of felt like the passing game got stagnant and it it stayed within the bumpers of, like, we're winning games now, so we're going to do what we know we're comfortable with and not really take a lot of unnecessary risks. Because when you took those unnecessary risks or you tried to be ambitious – that was when you saw the pass protection breakdown or Tua let a ball get away from him over the middle of the field and threw a turnover-worthy throw and just kind of snowball. So it was, nope, everything's close to the vest. So um, if you do bring back Mike, I don't doubt that this team will optimize a role for him, as we've said. The McDaniel, Shanahan, San Francisco offense has optimized weapons for, for years. That price point, though, is a long and lengthy debate. I actually wrote this story for over at the Draft Network last week, and it ended up being like 2000 words, so it was fairly long-winded, which if you've listened to this podcast for any period of time, you're probably not surprised that it was long-winded. But it talked about Mike, his alignments, uh, the salary cap, the franchise tag, uh, the debate between a wide receiver franchise tag and, and a tight end franchise tag, Mike's utilization, and the debate for either side of the fence there, uh, but some of the limitations if you're using him as a tight end versus some of the limitations if you're using him as a receiver, and it kind of creates this very twelve different shades of gray as far as it's this is not a black and white decision. I'll be excited if he's back. If he's not back and they get something for him, I'll understand, and I'll be interested to see what they do with whatever they get back in return for him. And if they do choose to let him go, then expect to see a lot more of Hunter Long and traditional tight ends slash hybrid players that can be lined up in the backfield, like a Kyle Juszczyk in San Francisco. San Francisco led the league in 21 personnel. Miami led the league in 12 personnel. And that was because San Francisco had Kyle Juszczyk. And Miami led the league in 12 because they had Mike Gusecki, who was effectively a glorified wide receiver. Mike Gusecki's season, I think if you acknowledge who he is as a player and you, you don't have expectations for things that Mike is not going to do at a high level because it's just not in his frame and his skill set, I would probably give him a B B+. Would have loved to have seen more end zone production. Would have loved to have seen more steady play. Uh, without some of the disappearing acts. Some of that is Mike's fault. Dropped a couple balls. A lot of that is not Mike's fault. Usage, targets, defensive attention, because you only have two primary threats in the passing game, is what it is. But Mike had a great season. And I think Mike did it almost as much as he could have done relative to the conditions he was playing in. For the coaching staff he was playing for, to maximize his value going into frequency. Now, whether or not the Dolphins let that happen or if they utilize a franchise tag, that's a different story. And that's a story for another day. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like candy bar. These things are high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They have 100% chocolate on all of their bars, and they are absolutely, positively delicious. Right now, you can visit Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your next order. It's Built.com, promo code LOCK15, to save 15% off your next order
1: If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: So let's talk Durham Smythe. Who, by the way, Mike Gesecki took to social media and advocated for the Dolphins to pay. He said, pay him. Talking about Durham Smythe amidst Mike's own contract negotiations. Uh, so so here are some stats for Durham Smythe. He's 26 years old, fourth round pick out of Notre Dame in 2018, set career highs in receptions and receiving yards this past year. Uh, he had a quarterback passer rating of ninety four point1 on targets. To him. And he averaged 4.9 yards after the catch per reception in 2019, in 2021. 2019. Jeez, Kyle, it's not that early. So that those are good numbers, but I do think it is important to bear in mind what his utilization was and where his targets were most frequently used, uh, which was that slice defender. Durham was the guy who was frequently your one-by-one one outside the offensive tackle in that H-back alignment who they'd send across the set or they'd do the little yo-yo motion where you go down to the quarterback, turn around and come back, just looking for a man's zone indicator and then he would either step to the point of attack, he would fold up inside and block on a linebacker on the second level to the play side, or he would slice across the entire formation, block the end man on the line of scrimmage for split flow inside zone, or they would RPO off of that, and he would then take that same slice motion as if he were blocking the end man on the line of scrimmage. They would out- read option off of him, and he would leak out into the flat, and they'd dump the ball underneath. That was Durham's role. And, like, it worked really well for uh, what the offense – was and what it needed to be based on the coaching staff and the players and where you married their comfortability with one another. Uh, So Durham, um, he took 89 snaps in the slot last year. He took 44 snaps aligned outside as a perimeter wide receiver. And he took 242 snaps in line as a tight end in the box. So very much a traditional wide receiver with two-thirds of his snaps coming as an inline tight end. Uh, Durham played a career-high amount of snaps. Uh, In the passing game, he took 393 total snaps last year. And his run-after-catch of 4.9 was also a career-high, but his yards-per-route run Uh, was not as efficient as it was the year prior. Uh, 1.52 yards per route run versus 1.25. And that is a little bit of a testament to the role and usage that we saw with this RPO offense for Durham Smythe. From a grades perspective, according to our friends over Pro Football Focus, Durham-Smythe graded out for the season, and this is out of 100, and this is not a be-all, end-all, but it is important to note, as a 50.7 grade out of 100, which is down from 2020's 55.6 in run blocking, which was down from 2019's 61.4 run blocking. Uh, So the running game for a traditional tight end, that's where the concern with Durham comes into play is that he's not a dynamic mismatch player. He's a guy who's receiving production largely came based off of scheme and working underneath and having defenders have to read and key four different layers based off that individual alignment. And that's good coaching for Durham specifically. And that's how a player like Durham sets career highs in receptions and receiving yards. Uh, but it's not where you would want to see your traditional inline tight end checking in from an effectiveness in the run game. As a point of reference, Durham Smythe, according to Pro Football Focus, again, not the be all end all, but a useful tool to supplement what my eyes told me. And that's why I'm comfortable talking about these statistics. 112th graded blocking tight end in football last year. 112th graded blocking tight end. And even if you put the threshold on tight ends who played a minimum of 50% of the high watermark for blocking snaps taken by any tight end in the league, which was 522 snaps. So 50% of 522 or higher. Durham Smythe, out of 37 qualifying tight ends, was fourth worst. So how do you, there's a spot for Durham Smythe on the team. There's a spot for Durham Smythe in in anybody's team. He can be a useful player. I think from a special teams perspective, a depth tight end, you can do so, so, so much worse than Durham Smythe. But if he's your primary player with his hand in the dirt, you need him to be better. And if he's not going to be better, then that's why the addition of Hunter Long as a selection with a three-year scope in mind instead of a one-year scope in mind is important. Now, there were some with the organization who paid the price for making a three-year decision when you needed a one-year profit. Most notably, head coach Brian Flores and George Gatsby is no longer with the team, although he wasn't a part of I would assume he was not an influential part of that decision-making process. And as we know, because Mike McDaniels said it over the weekend, Chris Greer's the kind of GM that fancies himself as shopping for a grocery list that is provided to him by his respective head coach. And when Hunter Long got drafted, you heard B-Flow on the phone, in the draft room, hyping up, you're the first Boston College Eagle that I've drafted here in Miami. Well, he'll be the last, unfortunately. But um, that's the conundrum with Durham Smythe. Is for what he is as a player, his most critical role, he graded out among the worst in the league yet. And for that reason, I'd give him a C, a solid C, because the, you got way above expectation in the receiving game. But you got below expectation in the passing game. And that's kind of hard to, to digest. Uh, we've talked about Hunter Long. Uh, it, it's hard to gauge how much of his struggles uh, were because he didn't know the playbook, how much of his struggles were because of the players in front of him on the depth chart. Um, it's t- I, I would be inclined to give Hunter Long an incomplete grade uh, because he was a healthy scratch as a third-round pick, and he didn't have to be, and he showcased that he's physically capable If it weren't for penalties, he would have graded out comfortably higher in run blocking on the reps that he did take. And as we said, one of the three penalties that I think he got popped for all season wasn't a penalty. So I would be inclined to give Hunter Long an incomplete grade, which leaves Smythe and Seaton Carter. Or, excuse me, leaves Adam Shaheen and Seaton Carter. And Seathan Carter, special teams guy. That's all he's ever going to be. I was surprised they paid him what they paid him for him to come in and be the fourth tight end, and then draft a the tight end in the third round. Uh, we were confused at the time of that decision making process, and it still doesn't make a lot of sense. So if coach McDaniel and gets together with Danny Crossman and they talk about special teams, they're like, "Yeah, could take or leave Ethan wouldn't be surprised if they move on and sit, try to save a little bit of money in that regard. Um, his team's got relative to his expectations, I think he was fine. Um, Adam Shaheen got banged up last year. I know that that cost him some time. Uh, he played in 12 games, but he wasn't somebody who, who really moved the needle either, uh, in any way, positive or negative for the Miami Dolphins. If you, you think about Shaheen, where he wins as a player best is inline blocking and as a red zone target. With a large catch radius. If you took all the tight ends in football. And applied the same blocking focus. That Durham Smythe was 112th in the league in. Adam Shaheen graded out 33rd in football. And I thought that did match my eyes as well. But the problem with Shaheen. Is you couldn't put him in the Durham role. Of being the moving piece in the backfield. and you know split flow and getting out into the flat, and he's a bigger guy. That really doesn't suit. He's going to catch the ball. By the time he turns up field, he's going to get tackled for a two-yard gain every single time. So you wish you would have gotten more. No, Adam Shaheen took two hundred seven blocking reps last year, and if you whittle that down to. You know, that doesn't qualify for the 50% threshold and cutoff. But if you put that on the 20% threshold cutoff of 522 snaps amongst tight ends, Shaheen was the 24th graded tight end in football as a blocker for all tight ends who took a minimum of 20% of the snaps of the max value that any tight end took in blocking last year, which is 522. Uh, And as a point of reference, uh, Smythe on that same spectrum – 71st. They gave Shaheen a contract extension. Um, That's kind of the conflict that I have with these two players, is how do you weigh out Durham's more versatility with Adam being better at what he does and Adam being under contract? Now, maybe you say, well, Adam has struggled with durability issues throughout the course of his career. We're not comfortable going that direction either. We're going to bring back Hunter Long. Maybe we'll double down on on Gasecki and go get another blocking inline tight end in free agency. I don't know. But I would give this this group in its entirety, uh, from a pass game perspective, a B plus, A minus. Uh, From a running game, all-encompassing perspective – Uh, I do think the net contributions to the team were greater than average. uh, So I'd probably give it a B minus, but this team, especially with coach McDaniel and the renewed emphasis in running the football, this group has to be a lot better, a lot better in that regard in 2022 and moving forward. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation on the tight ends group. One of my favorite groups to kind of put under the lens and spectrum, because there's some nuance here. There's some layers to this for the Dolphins in their tight end room and projecting it forward and uh, we're doing offensive line yet this week which will finish the offensive side of the football we have power to the pod as well so please plan accordingly come on back see us keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins I'm Kyle Krabs. thanks as always for checking out the, the show
1: A hey, Prime members you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music download the Amazon Music app today